time. Keeping you informed and inspired. We love God. We ought to be able to talk about Him. Getting you started on your day. With the latest in breaking news and information. From the Vatican to the White House and everything in between. It's serious. It's fun. It's your Catholic drive time. And welcome to Catholic Drive Time. This is your host, Adrian Fonseca. Today is Friday, July 14th. 2023 the feast of saint francis solanos have you heard of saint francis solanos he was born into a noble family in montilla and adulcia in 1549 and like his name saint francis solanos he was consecrated to saint francis of assisi by his mother who was known as the noble woman both because of her noble birth and her lineage but also, and more importantly, because of her noble virtue. St. Francis Solanos received a Catholic formation and education in a Jesuit college, and he received many graces from God, including an amazing musical talent of being able to play the violin. He was known for his practice of virtue and joyfulness in serving God. He possessed a very beautiful voice and a rare musical sense, He was well known to stand before the statue of the Blessed Virgin and play the violin for her and sing for her. Now, he did this very often. In fact, he would walk the streets and children would come out onto the streets in order to hear him play. He would take the opportunity to stop his playing and catechize the children. And when the parents came around, he made sure to then shift the conversation to conversations that would be more fitting for the adults. He is requested after he gained in such popularity, he requested that he be sent to the Americas to preach the gospel there. He evangelized in the regions of Panama, Colombia, Peru, Paraguay, Bolivia, and Argentina, and he traveled extensively on foot back in the time where there was no roads yet. So they had to cross these dense jungles uh, with no path. And whenever he stayed there, he spent for about 13 years in Peru. Now, if you know what was going on in Peru, the Franciscan order was flourishing there. With There was the time of St. Torbio of Magorvio and St. Rose of Lima. So I like to think being there for 13 years, the same time as them, I think it's very likely that they may have encountered one another and known each other. I think that's a very good and holy thought. He was known for many miracles and for converting both Indians and colonists. He was very rigorous in the practice of penance. He was very well known to be having both the violin and a hair shirt that he kept with him at all times. He recalled to recall the Spanish colonists to a more fervent practice of the faith. And after he gained in popularity yet again, he was asked, he asked to be sent out to a four corners of the native of the, uh, of the Americas in order to preach to the Indians. At one point, he came across these particular Indians that were known to sneak up on people and kill them when they were unawares. So he stops at a river to get some water, and he pulls out his violin because he hears the birds chirping, and he wanted to play in harmony with the birds. And so he starts playing the violin, and the Indians see him, and instead of attacking and killing him, they come out, and they're intrigued by him, and they allow him and invite him to their camp. And St. Francis Solanos was able to preach to them. But how? He preached to them in Spanish. And by the grace of the Holy Ghost, they were able to understand every word he said. 
He was eventually called back to Lima around 1601, and he knew that he was going to die and requested the singing of the Magnificant and the Credo before his death. And at the words of, and the word became flesh by the Holy Mary, by the Blessed Virgin Mary, he died as the bells began to ring at the elevation of the host at the nearby church. The life of St. Francis Solanos is a very beautiful life, a very wonderful life, something that we should keep in mind. And especially, let's keep in mind the complementarity of the seriousness of penance and wearing the hair shirt, but also the joy of being a Christian in the playing of the violin. I think keeping these two things in concert with one another will make sure that we are not sad Christians, but joyful and happy Christians. St. Francis Solanos, pray for us. Uh, good morning to you. Happy Friday. You made it to the weekend. Congratulations. Can you believe it? You didn't think you were going to make it, did you? You thought that uh, pff, this was going to be it. It was going to be over. You had your, your meter set to it's over, but it is not. It's only just begun. We are so back. We are back because it is the weekend. Congratulations. You made it. I hope you're going to have a blessed weekend. If you can join us on our social media streams, I'd love to know what your plans are for this weekend. It'd be a great time to uh, hear about what your plans are. And here's a little bit of a heads up. Our co-host Tito Edwards is out on vacation today. He'll be back, I believe, on Wednesday. He'll be back. He flies in on Tuesday, and I'll let him tell you all when he's ready about his trip. I don't want to reveal any details about his private plans, but on Wednesday, we'll definitely get the update on how everything went. So today we're running solo. It's going to be a great time. And I also I want to make sure I remember to say howdy, howdy to Catholic Spirit Radio, who's been joining us since June. So howdy, howdy to you, Catholic Spirit Radio. Welcome to the Catholic Drive Time team. Uh, we love to have you. Now, coming up in this hour, there are a lot of things that we're going to be talking about and a couple things that I'm surprised that no one else has talked about. Very, very concerning that that somehow this has escaped everyone's attention. At 15 past the hour, Georgia State Representative is, makes a moral decision to leave the Democrat Party. That's very interesting that they that this Georgia State Representative made this decision. I was kind of shocked by her response of why she did it i was pretty surprised i think you will be too at 30 past the hour russia is creating a new gold standard now we talked about this back in 2022 but now they're making headway and nobody's talking about it so we're going to discuss this at 30 past the hour plus how to solve the increase in crime crime rates are skyrocketing and there is in fact a solution how can we do this well i'll tell you at 30 past the hour in the next hour dave palmer will be joining us we're going to finish up talking about socrates and of course we have our fear and trembling game show and there are going to be prizes in fact we're going to be giving away a replica of the coffee cup of divine providence so if you want to call in please do so you can find our number at grnonline.com forward slash cdt to get connected with us but let's begin with prayer we're going to be praying for your intentions. Whatever it is that you have going on in your life, we're praying for that intention. We pray for our friends, family, and benefactors, and all those we promise to pray for, and that we all have a blessed weekend. And in a special way, we pray for an end to child trafficking. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Ghost, amen. Oh my God, I beg of thee, in union with the Immaculate Heart of Mary, through the merits of the precious blood offered to thee in every sacrifice of the Mass throughout the world, 
to grant that this day one sinner may be converted, one mortal sin be averted, one soul in doubt be converted to truth. One soul about to die in sin receive the grace of repentance and a happy death, and the deliverance of that soul in purgatory which is nearest heaven. I wish by this offering to console the heart of Jesus in agony for souls lost through the teaching of error against the true church of Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. May thy blood, O Lord, be my salvation. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Amen. And now, your headline news. Catholic News Agency is reporting authorities have arrested a suspect in the murder last week of a teacher from Kentucky on the campus of the Catholic University of America. LifeSide News is reporting that Nobel Prize winner denounces alarmist climate predictions, saying, quote, I don't believe there is a climate crisis, end quote. Catholic World News and Fides are reporting Father Joseph Azubiki, who was kidnapped in Nigeria's Iboni state on July 10th, has been released, according to the report. Well, that's some good news. LifeSide News is also reporting that Sound of Freedom defies naysayers with 5 million tickets sold. That's $50 million in receipts. And finally, Catholic News Agency is reporting following failed negotiations with the regime of Nicaraguan dictator Daniel Ortega to free the persecuted bishop Rolando Jose Alvarez Lagos. The U.S. bishops have called for the imprisoned prelate's release. And those are your headline news today through a Catholic lens. The gospel of the day is a lesson from our Lord telling us, telling the apostles specifically, that when you go out, well, here are the manner in which you go out. Plus, here's what you can expect while you are trying to preach the gospel. How will you be received? Now, let's start here with verse 16. He says, Behold, I send you as sheep in the midst of wolves. Be ye therefore wise as serpents and simple as doves. Now, here's a number of things to be said on verse 16 alone. He says, I send you as sheep. Now, it's very interesting because sheep are not exactly the most persuasive animal. They're very innocent. They follow very well. And they say in the midst of wolves. Well, what, what do wolves do? Wolves devour sheep. No. And so why does our Lord tell him this? Well, he tells him this for a number of reasons, one of which is that He's saying how by God's power, by the grace of God, you are actually able to conquer the wolves, even though you're acting as sheep. He even says, Cornelius Lapide, commenting on this, says, I send you without arms, meaning I don't give you weapons amidst the wolves. Now, why is this? This is because it is by the blood of the martyrs that it becomes the seed of the church. It is by dying and by shedding your blood for Christ, that so many souls will be saved. Here's one other reason why he says sheep in the midst of wolves. He says, Cornelius Lapide commenting on it says, yes, because we have to be innocent like sheep. We have to be innocent like sheep because we cannot act like wolves. Though our enemies may use wicked tactics, may lie, cheat, steal, may do all sorts of nefarious things in order to accomplish their goals. We as Christians are not able to do those things. And listen to St. Christum. He says, let them blush who like wolves persecute their adversaries when they behold innumerable wolves overcome by a very few sheep. 
And assuredly, so long as we are sheep, we shall easily overcome our enemies. But when we are changed into the nature of wolves, then we are overcome. For in such a case, we have no more help from our shepherd who feeds sheep, not wolves. I think this is a absolutely wonderful comment from St. Chrysostom because listen what he says here. When you become wolves, you have no more help from our shepherd. Because if we go out into the world as sheep, then we can trust in our Lord, who is the good shepherd, to save our souls and to save the souls of those we preach to. But if we become wolves, we do not have God as our father, and nor do we have Christ as our brother, nor our lady as our mother. So this is a very, very important thing to keep in mind. Now, in verse 17, he says, But beware of men, for they will deliver you up in councils, and they will scourge you in their synagogues. Now here he's specifically talking about the Jews. He's saying, Beware of the Jews, for they are going to, and he's here talking almost about, his own crucifixion. He's talking about his own crucifixion and how he was brought before the councils and was judged unjustly, was scourged in their synagogues. Now, this is what is going to happen to the Christians, he says. Now, why does our Lord tell them this? He's telling this to prepare them. He's predicting what will happen. So that way, when it does happen, they will not be scandalized. They're not going to be freaking out and saying, I can't believe this happened. How could God be allowing me to suffer? How can he let my own people, the Jews, scourge us? How can our own councils of the Jews put us to death? How? Well, it's not going to be scandalous to them because our Lord told them this will happen. They will do this. Not they might do this. They will do this. And he goes on in verse 18, and you shall be brought before governors and before kings for my sake, for a testimony to them and to the Gentiles. And we think here of one example, there can be a dozen, a St. Francis of Assisi going to the Sultan himself and telling him to repent and convert, lest he go to hell. Verse 19, but when they shall deliver you up, take no thought how or what to speak, for it shall be given you in the hour what to speak. For it is not you that speak, but the Spirit of the Father that speaketh in you. Now here, saying Cornelius Alapide, he says very clearly Yes, preachers should study and pray extensively before preaching, but when he preaches, he should say it as the word of God. He should speak through the Holy Ghost and should not be have be filled up with anxiety about what to say. He said he should definitely still preach and to definitely still prepare. You can't just go off by the seat of their pants. I know a couple of priests who may do things like that. But let's keep these things in mind today. Let's keep these things in mind that persecution will happen. Not might, but will. We'll be right back with more right after this. Ladies and gentlemen, this is your captain speaking. We're currently cruising at 39,000 feet. We'll turn that seatbelt sign off for you and let you move about the cabin. Looks like we're about two hours and ten minutes from landing. Plenty of time for you to share your Catholic faith with one another. Wouldn't it be great if everyone eagerly shared their faith? Why not start today? A friendly suggestion from Guadalupe Radio Network. This is Dale Alquist with a Chesterton Minute. Have you ever heard someone say, I accept some of the things the church teaches, but I could never embrace the entire creed because there are some things in it that I just don't have any use for. 
G.K. Chesterton says, you might as well say that there's a great many things in the Encyclopedia Britannica that you don't have any use for. The church, like the encyclopedia, is meant for everybody and not just for you. It is meant for everybody, which just happens to include you. The Catholic Church is a combination of things that are nevertheless one thing. We cannot accept only part of it without rejecting all of it. Want more than a minute? Visit our website at www.chesterton.org. And welcome back to Catholic Drive Time. This is your host, Adrian Fonseca. It's so good to be on with you today. Praise be to God. Now, there is a story that I thought was really interesting. It's very fascinating to me, this, this story, and I haven't heard too many people talking about it, so I figured, uh, let's discuss. Tim Cass News reports, Georgia State Representative makes moral decision to leave party. Now, this is very interesting. What party would that be? That would be the Democrat Party. Now, many people immediately started calling her a race traitor because she's black. And obviously, if you're black, you're required to be a Democrat. I mean, that's what Joe Biden said. Remember, he said, if you don't vote for me, you ain't black. That's what uh, our president of the United States said. Kind of strange thing to say, I would argue. Now, in this article, it says, Maynard has represented District 56, which covers a heavy Democrat voter base near Atlanta. Since January 2021, Maynard ran unopposed by Republican challenger in the 2020 and the 2022 Democratic primary elections in the state. The Georgia state representative will switch party preference and caucus with Republicans, shifting the Republic-Democrat balance in the Georgia state house 102 to 78. She said, quote, today I made the decision to leave the Democrat Party. I represent a blue district in the city of Atlanta. So this wasn't a political decision for me. It was a moral one. I will never apologize for being a black woman with a mind of my own, end quote. I think that's a very, very good point because, yes, we should not have our mindset in such a way that we want to align politically only because if we align politically only then whatever your party says you're going to do and we don't believe that we don't want to do that instead we want to be a member of the party of christ the king and so if that is the case that our political party is going against the will of christ the king we should reject that party or at the very least reject those aspects of it we got to choose the best of uh, what is available unfortunately there's no great options in america right now now, the article goes on, and quoting her, she said, quote, When I decided to stand up on behalf of disadvantaged children in support of school choice, my Democrat colleagues did not stand by me. Maynard said of her decision to leave her party in a statement to Fox News Digital, They crucified me. When I decided to stand up in support of safe communities and refused to support efforts to defund the police, they didn't back me. They abandoned me. For far too long, the Democrat Party has gotten away with using and abusing the black community. For decades, the Democrat Party has received the support of more than 90% of the black community. And what do we have to show for it? Never, she said, that she will continue to work across party lines, saying she never hesitated to work across the aisle to deliver results for her community. 
and the people she was elected to represent. She said, I was elected to represent, and that won't change. She said she felt encouraged and humbled by her being embraced for the first time in a long time as a free-thinking black woman willing to go against party lines. She said the most dangerous thing to the Democrat Party is a black person with a mind of their own. She said education and the importance of school choice has been and will continue to be a key focus of mine. Now, this is very interesting to me because she's right. She's right. The Democrat Party claims to be the party of minorities. As specifically, they, she claims they claim to be the party of blacks. And yet, what does the Democrat Party do? They destroy the nuclear family. Our government has destroyed the nuclear family over and over again with entitlement programs that have caused people to abandon their families. And the big thing that they're doing is by encouraging divorce, by encouraging marriage out of wedlock. It's a very concerning situation that has to be rejected. It has to be rejected in a very clear and obvious way. Now, the other thing and the key issue for her is that black people are not being well-educated in Atlanta. She said that in her district, they have a 3% reading efficacy. That's absurd. A 3% reading efficacy in America, in the United States of America, who claims to have this amazing system, who claims to have a system of government that makes sense, a system of schooling that makes sense, that teaches people, and we have that low of a percentage of reading efficacy? How is that possible? Well, for one point, she's saying that she's going to make sure, as her primary end, that she's going to create school choice. So kids who are districted to a school that is garbage can go to a good school. Now, honestly, I don't know how much that's going to help because at the end of the day, our education system just needs to be uprooted and changed. But I'm glad that there are small changes being made. It's a step in the right direction. But ultimately, at the end of the day, the our school system is, is not good. Even people going to good schools. I was speaking to an old professor of mine, and he said that kids going into college are coming in at a sixth grade reading level now. Going to college. How do they get into college? That's always a confusing thing to me. How do they get into college not having be able to read above a sixth grade level? I think that's kind of surprising to me. But this is the reality of where we're at right now. And so more and more people, I think, are going to begin to wake up to the situations. It's going to have to take some radical changes for people to finally realize that we have some major problems in our country. And once they realize these problems are happening, then and only then can things change? It's a very, very concerning situation in the world today, but it's very encouraging that there is at least one person who is willing to stand up and reject this mentality. A very good thing, and I hope and pray that more people are willing to reject this bad ideology and come out against it. Now, there was a story reported a second ago on, on the breaking news a Nobel Peace Prize winner denounces alarmist climate prediction, saying, I don't believe that there is a climate crisis. Said Dr. John Clauser has said the popular narrative about climate change reflects a dangerous corruption of science and threatens the world's economy and the well-being of billions of people. 
I think this is a very important thing because he's not just some crack scientist, some guy who got his degree online. He's a Nobel Prize winning physicist. And he thinks that the climate change crisis is not real. I think it's very, very important because we're they trying what the goal is, is to encourage fear and and rapidity within the soul. So people are trying to act quick. Like, I need to fix the problem. I got to act now. And when they do that, they don't stop to think things through. They want everybody to act now. No deliberation, no prudence. Act now. This is a very concerning thing because when they tell you, do something, well, doing something doesn't always help. You have to do the right thing. Just doing anything doesn't help. You have to do the right thing. During his speech at the Quantum Korea 23 event, Saint uh, Doctor, sorry, Saint Doctor John Clauser said, "I don't believe there is a climate crisis, according to a report by Seoul Economic Daily, that has been translated into English by the CO2 Coalition." Clauser added that the key processes are exaggerated and misunderstood by approximately 200 times, and he occurred the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change of Spreading Misinformation. In his keynote speech address to young Korean scientists and students, Klauser said that misinformation is being spread by those with political and opportunistic motives. Even chatbots like ChatGPT can be better at lying than humans, he said, adding that distinguishing truth from falsehood is a challenging task for both humans and computers. In an era of rapid advancement in AI technology, the role of scientists as judges is necessary, he said, urging scientists to fulfill their roles by verifying information and educating the public about it. Klauser won the Nobel Prize in Physics in 2022, along with two other scientists for his work in the field of quantum mechanics. In May 23, the renowned physicists joined the board of directors of the CO2 Coalition. It's a scientific organization that highlights the benefits of CO2 for the environment and criticizes alarmist climate models. Now, this is interesting because CO2 is considered harmful, right? This is what's destroying our environment. And yet there are not a few scientists, real scientists, who are saying, actually, CO2 is what causes growth. It's what causes growth in the climate. So if you care about plants and trees and all things like that, well, then actually CO2 increase will do some good. And the increase in plant life and all those things will increase oxygen. And so we are not having a climate crisis because maybe God knows what he did when he designed the earth. And the earth is not going to end until our Lord is ready for it to end. Dr. William Haper, chairman of the CO2 Coalition and the board of directors, said that Klauser's studies of the science of climate of climate provides strong evidence that there is no climate crisis and the increasing CO2 concentrations will benefit the world. Klauser has said that the popular narrative about climate change reflects a dangerous corruption of science that threatens the world's economy and the well-being of billions of people. This is very important to keep in mind because everybody wants you to trust the science, but science is a methodology. It's a means. It's a way in which we can study and so we can come to no conclusions. But if we just say trust the science, what does that mean? We're trusting the spokesman for science. And who is a spokesman for science? It's whatever the popular narrative is. 
So if we actually want to trust science, which we actually should trust science, but what does it mean to trust science? Well, the word science literally comes from the word ciencia, which means knowledge. And so we must trust knowledge. We have to know what something is true. We have to know the facts of the case. And then, and only then, can you come to conclusions. But if we don't have the facts to begin with, we can't just trust whatever people tell us, especially when our modern science uh, technicians, our modern science experts claim absurd things, like the world is going to end. Or how about, how about that men can become women? Or how about that men can breastfeed? A very, very concerning situation. He says, misguided climate science has metastasized into a massive shock journalist pseudoscience. In turn, the pseudoscience has become a scapegoat for a wide variety of other unrelated ills. It has been promoted and extended by similarly misguided business and marketing agents, politicians, journalists, government agencies, and environmentalists. And in my opinion, there is no real climate crisis. Uh, I recommend checking out the rest of this article because it explains a lot and it's very, very good to get the full context. And I also recommend checking out the CO2 Coalition. I was reading some of their stuff and I was very impressed. And it's something that we got to keep in mind. We just have to. Because they're going to try to push this narrative that this world's going to end. That's why you have to eat the bugs. That's why you have to sleep in the pods. That's why you got to own nothing. That's why you have to give up eating meat. No more meat. If you want meat, you can have lab-grown meat. You can only eat vegetables. And even then, probably not too much of those anymore. You're going to have to eat bugs. All these things are coming. They're coming, and they're going to tell you it's because of the climate. Oh, you want to drive? Nope. Can't drive anymore. Got to get rid of your car. Got to stay in your city. They're going to use this, and it's going to become very bad. So let's see the motives behind the quote-unquote science and not be fooled. When we come back, what are the causes of our problems and the crime rates and how to solve them? Hello, this is Steve Gleason with your one-minute tool for Catholic evangelism. Here's the question for your non-Catholic friend. Is the Bible sufficient to answer all questions about Christian living and church life? Well, the answer is definitively no. There isn't agreement on scores of doctrinal issues, such as the effects of baptism, who can receive communion, once saved, always saved, abortion, or how about eligibility for marriage after divorce? So here's your three best friendship tools for Catholic evangelism. Number one, fruit analysis. Luther, Calvin, and Zwingli, who are the fathers of non-Catholic Christianity, did not rid the unbiblical practices they despised, but instead turned out to be the progenitors of some 50 denominations and scores of divergent beliefs. Secondly, natural reason. Well, if the Bible alone is supposed to clarify all beliefs, the very fact that such division prevails is actually proof that an arbiter of doctrine is desperately needed. And thirdly, the golden twins. Sacred scripture and sacred tradition will always prevail as the foundation of all Christian truth, doctrines, and beliefs. Remember, identical twins come from one egg. I don't know why I turned on my radio because I've kept my radio off for years. And once I turned it on, I was absolutely hooked. I love the shows with the Catholic apologist. I love the shows with the sort of day-to-day psychologist, Greg and Lisa Popchek. I love hearing not just of other people's problems who call in, but I love getting the Catholic take on how to deal with day-to-day reality. The Guadalupe Radio Network, radio for your soul. And welcome back. You're listening to the Catholic Drive Time Show. Today is Friday, July 14, 2023, in the year of our Lord. And these are your headline news for this morning. 
Catholic news agency is reporting that the U.S. Food and Drug Administration on Thursday announced the approval of the first non-prescription oral contraceptive called Opal, or Opil. Catholic World News and The Pillar are reporting the Alaska Department of Corrections has effectively banned the celebration of the Mass in a state's prison with a new policy that, quote, no altar wine or other alcoholic beverages will be used by anyone who is involved with any activity, end quote. Hmm, that's very concerning. Anti-Catholicism on the rise. Catholic News Agency is reporting in the latest twist in the 40-year-old cold case of the disappearance of 15-year-old Emanuela Orlandi, who lived in Vatican City. Investigators are reportedly looking into the possibility involving the uncle of the missing Vatican girl. Quote, Regarding the reports involving a relative of Emanuela, it is noted that the correspondence in question expressly indicates that there was no violation of the sacramental seal of confession, end quote, Vatican spokesman Matteo Bruni said. Catholic World News and Catholic News Agency are reporting Loyola University of Chicago is offering a course on transgender medicine. The Jesuit school offers a course including instruction on gender reassignment for children. Whew. Jesuit schools, are they Catholic? I don't know. And finally, Catholic News Agency is reporting Republican lawmakers on the House of Judiciary Committee on Wednesday pressed FBI Director Chris Wray on a leaked memo from the Bureau's Richmond Division that describes an investigation into Catholic communities. The internal memo leaked to the press outlines Rich Richmond's FBI's investigation of, quote, radical traditionalist Catholics. It claimed that violent extremists have sought out and attended traditional Catholic houses of worship and suggested tripwire or source development within churches that offer the Latin Mass and radical traditionalist Catholic online communities. Hmm. As they always hate on the Catholics, especially the traditional ones. I wonder why. Latin Mass? Dangerous to the U.S. government? <laughs> I guess so. And I'm Adrian Fonseca, and these are your headlines through a Catholic lens. Yeah, I think it's very funny that uh, the greatest threat to American to the American government right now is a Latin Mass and traditional Catholics. What does that say about what does that say about our uh, government if the Latin Mass is what's scaring them? Hmm. Very strange, I would argue. Very strange, don't you think? I would think so. Now, I want to talk about this article. And I think it's interesting because this is something that I talk about pretty often in private. I don't know if I've talked about this on the radio much or at all, but I think this is very interesting. The article is called To Catch a Killer by Crisis Magazine. The author of it is John Grodinelski, or Grondilski. There you go. I knew I could say it. The article says, enforcing the small laws can lead to reduction of violations of the big laws. Not on the basis of broken windows theory, but a Catholic theology of sin. Now, I think it's interesting because the broken windows theory, I think, makes a lot of sense. So, I mean, I don't have a problem with that. But the broken windows theory is that if you enforce the small crimes, so if someone breaks a window, you give them the punishment that's due to that. You don't just be like, oh, well, I guess you can get off. It's not a big deal. Not a big deal theology. As my friend David Magianis will say, it's not, not a big deal theology. Instead, it is a big deal, and you have to enforce it. 
And if you enforce the small laws, you'll prevent the larger laws. One, because of deterring people. And two, because you correct the, the mistakes that are made. It's kind of like your kid, right? If you have a kid and he's misbehaving, imagine if you just let him get away with anything. And then one day he commits a really, really bad, bad thing. For instance, let's say he slaps your, his mother in the face. And then you just explode on him and try to punish him. And he's thinking, oh, why am I getting punished? I've never been punished before. It makes no sense. Well, this is what happens. You create bad people by refusing to punish them on the smaller crimes. Now, here the article says, Max Emerson, a 25-year-old teacher from Kentucky, was murdered the morning of July 5th on Michigan Avenue in Washington, D.C., just next to the Catholic University of America. He was in town for a conference and sightseeing on his way to the Metro Washington subway. The nearest station is the Brooklyn CUA, just outside the Catholic University of America's property. Now, I've ridden on that uh, subway many times, actually, and that's uh, very concerning to, to think about. I've ridden that subway a few times going to CUA or going to the Dominican House of Studies, which is right across the street from CUA. America's murder rate is on the rise, particularly in big cities. There were 203 murders in Washington in 2022. And as of July 10th in 2023, the city has posted 129 murders. The media touted the drop in Washington murders from 2021 to 2022, proving that there are, quote, lies, damned lies, and statistics, end quote. 2022 was marked as a more than 10% decline in murders over the previous year, though in both years, killing exceeded 200. And while media outlets hawked 2022's decline in murder rate over the previous year, not many people are mentioning that on July 10th, Washington's killing rate was 17% higher than the same time last year. Now, I want to raise the question. I don't have answers to it, but I will admit I have suspicions. Emerson was killed in broad daylight in the morning on his way to the subway. I want to know something. Did his killer ever evade paying his metro fare? Is there any video of the killer whose picture has been released either arriving at or escaping that fateful day via Brooklyn CUA metro station? And if there is, did he jump the fare gate? Does he ever appear anywhere on metro videotapes? There is no day that I don't see people, especially young men, leaping over turnstiles. It happens in the morning, along with some marijuana smoking. In afternoon, it happens with metro officials standing right there, seeing it, and doing nothing. They don't do anything because it's not, quote, worth it. The D.C. City Council, in the name of equity and social justice, changed the law so that fair invasion is no longer a criminal but a civil offense, something like a parking ticket, the penalty being $50. Virginia and Maryland still have $100 fines for beating the fair gate, but the majority of the metro runs through the wannabe state home rule district. An example of the absurdity is in metro signage, pleading that you please pay your fare before riding. If you don't, you're told metro transit police could issue you a fine, followed by possible fines based on jurisdiction. D.C. disparity prominent. Everybody knows it's a ruse. Well, I didn't. I paid for the fare. When he took, uh, when he took office at New York City's mayor, 
uh, Rudy Guiliani introduced a no-tolerance policy on fair beating. Turnstile jumpers were ticketed and even arrested. As they were processed, it became apparent that a lot of the free riders had other criminal records. By catching them on the minor act of fair beating, they were also held to count for more serious violations of the law. His no tolerance of fair beaters and shakedown squeegee washers soaping your windshield was rooted in the broken windows theory of James Wilson. Put simply, the broken windows thesis holds that when antisocial behavior is tolerated, it metastasizes and expands. One broken window in the neighborhood exerts a pressure on the homeowner to fix it. But if it's left unrepaired, people get accustomed to the decline. So more windows get broken. Property values go down. And the likelihood of breaking and entering through those busted windows goes up. The way to avoid neighborhood decay is not the massive infusion of grant money after its decline. And it's de-incentivizing the beginnings of decline in the little things. Like stopping fare beaters before they push passengers onto the tracks. I think this is a good instinct. This is a good instinct to have because, yes, these are things that are happening. People who commit big crimes do, in fact, commit small crimes. And I think it's very important for us to keep in mind that this is the case. Now, what's the, how do we understand this? How do we understand this through a Catholic lens? Now, the thing that's important to keep in mind is that sin begets sin, and virtue begets virtue. In fact, doing good things does not make you a good person. That's a very controversial thing nowadays, because everybody thinks that they're a good person. Like, I'm a good person. Like, why do you think you're a good person? Well, uh, I like to make people smile. I like to make people laugh. Well, what about that makes you a good person? Oh, I've done good things. I've one time helped someone do X. Does doing something good every once in a while make you a good person? Hmm. That's something to ponder. When we come back, I want to keep touching on this. Because there's something profound there that we're going to chip away at. What makes someone a good person? And what creates sin? We're going to find the root of this problem coming up right after this. Hello, this is Steve Gleason with your one-minute tool for Catholic evangelism. Here's the question for your non-Catholic friend. Do you know what are the two most common questions after attending a non-Catholic church service? Answer, how is the preaching and how is the worship? Well, here's your three best friendship tools for Catholic evangelism. Number one, evaluation of worship? That's odd. Who's evaluating worship? Well, here's what really is meant by that. How is the music, the singing, and the audible response of the people? And if that were important, wouldn't that be our Lord's decision anyway? Secondly, Catholic teaching. Worship is fundamentally not tied to music and song, though it can be supported by music and song. The 2,000-year history of Catholic worship is primarily about the representing of Jesus' unbloody, timeless sacrifice on every Catholic altar. It is that moment when the bread and wine are changed into Jesus' own body and blood. We then participate in that worship by bringing our own sacrifice of self, whether sorrow or praise. And thirdly, my take. The only evaluation that should be considered after a church or a mass is the evaluation of heart and actions. That is, did we grow in obedience to the royal law of love? Help us, Father. 
Hey, Donnie, in what gospel do we find the Hail Mary prayer? The gospel of Luke. Do we worship Mary? No. What do we do? Ask her to pray for us. As parents, we're the primary educators of our Catholic faith to our children. And if you don't know your Catholic faith as well as you should, that's okay. Just tune in daily to the Guadalupe Radio Network by logging online to grnonline.com. The Guadalupe Radio Network. Listen, learn, love, and pass it on. Welcome back to Catholic Drive Time. This is your host, Adrian Fonseca. It's so good to be on with you today. We're talking about some major problems in America. We're talking about specifically in Washington, D.C. However, this is a problem that is all over America, whether it be San Francisco, L.A., Houston, Louisiana, whatever, whatever city you can name. There are problems. If it's a major city, it's, a, it's probably going to be a problem in your city. And that is that crime rates are going up over and over again. Crime rates are going up. So why is that happening? Why are crime rates going up? Well, the problem is that evil begets evil. Sin begets sin. Sanctity, like vice, is contagious. And so if we have vice and vice is promoted over and over again and it's fostered, that's going to lead to more vice. And if it's not corrected, it can only get worse. Now, this is a principle in theology because what does sin do to you? What does sin do to you? Sin darkens the intellect and weakens the will. So if you do not correct your sin... If you do not go to confession, receive the sacramental grace of confession, the more sin that you commit, the dumber you get, and the more difficult it becomes to resist the temptations towards sin. And so the way this works, the way this plays out in reality, is that somebody who is a murderer does not wake up one morning and say, hey, I'm a murderer now. I'm going to go kill someone. In some cases, we call them crimes of passion. People are enraged and they see something and they react and they kill someone. But most of the time, when it comes to premeditated murder, when it comes to things like that, these things are fostered. It's one small sin that begets a larger sin. Someone tells a white lie. They tell a white lie. And there's even jokes about this. There's uh, the old, I think it was a Disney Channel movie that came out when I was a kid called Big Fat Liar. Maybe you saw it. Maybe your kids saw it. Big Fat Liar. And it's following the story of how somebody makes these small lies that become larger lies and larger lies. And larger lies until the lie has gotten out of control. And it's very difficult to put the genie back in the bottle. Now, this is a very big problem. Because your small sins snowball into larger sins. So your lying can turn into stealing. Your stealing can turn into burglary. Your burglary can turn into murder. All these things go in sequence. Now, 
many people might say, well, I do these small sins and I don't become a murderer. Many people do these small sins. They don't become murderers. I'm not saying that every person who does this follows that path, but I'm saying every person that ends up at the far end did follow that path. And the only way to stop the snowball from going down the hill is the sacrament of confession because you are in the snowball. You're going down the hill and can Someone who is rolling down the hill, can a snowball stop itself? No. I mean, this we know this even from basic physics. An object in motion stays in motion to an object acts upon it. So what is going to be acting upon you to get you to stop? Well, it's the grace. It's the grace of a sacramental confession. And so how do we solve the crime problem? Well, there are two ways to do this. The two ways to do this is, one, through conversion. We have to convert the country. I mean, that's just a necessity. We must convert the country. One, for the salvation of souls, and two, to get rid of all the problems we have. And then the second thing we have to do is enforce the small laws. We have to enforce the small laws, whether it be something like paying your fare, whether it be something like speeding. And I know I speed quite often. It's something that I drive way too fast. I'm well aware. Uh, just ask my grandparents. They'll tell you. And, but this is something that we have to do. If we start enforcing the small laws, people will be less willing to do greater violations of crime, even if it's only out of fear of punishment. That'll still make us a safer place. So we have to enforce our laws. We have to. We are, what is a nation without laws? It's no nation at all. It's anarchy. And that's where we're headed. We're headed in a place where we may have these laws, but there's no punishment for the laws. And so a teaching without a discipline is no help at all. There's no help to have a teaching that does not have an enforcing body. You can't have a legislative branch, a judicial branch, without an executive branch. There has to be a way to enforce the rules and laws that are being put out. That's very, very important. This goes for families, even on the local level. Everything that's true of the larger level is also true of the local level, or vice versa. If your kids, if you have all these rules for your kids, and these rules, you know, if they're followed, it'll guarantee peace in the home. But nobody follows them. What will happen? If there's no way of enforcement, you're not going to spank your kids. You're not going to ground your kids. You're not going to punish them in any way. Well, when they break the rules, why will they care? Now, this is important to relate back to the sacrament of confession. Because in the sacrament of confession, it is sufficient that we obey the laws of God and go to confession out of fear of hell. Now, the more perfect thing is to go and reject your sin out of love for God. But this reflects back to society. Yes, it would be better if everybody did the right thing because it's the right thing. It would be a better society if everybody was thinking, you know what, I support society and I want to do what's best for society. And so I'm only going to do good things and I'm going to avoid bad things. That's simply just not the case. It is sufficient 
for people to say, I'm going to do good and avoid evil because I am afraid of what will happen to me if I don't. Now, the finishing the article from crisis, it says the average American experiences the consequences of their management by the rise in petty crime. If you can call shoplifting short of four figures petty, but I'd challenge the sophistry behind this argument. Does indulging petty criminals really lead to focusing on big criminals or aware of the snowball characteristic of evil? Does it in fact help petty criminals transition into big criminals? That's why I want to know whether our Washington murderer shows up on any Metro cameras. That's the finishing of the article. I recommend checking out that article in full in my crisis magazine. Now, I love the way David Magianis puts this. David Magianis, our, he's our business manager here at the GRN. He says, he calls it, it's not a big deal. And nothing is a big deal. Nothing is a big deal in this world. Someone doesn't do their job. Eh, it's not a big deal. We'll take care of it. We'll get the job done. Uh, somebody shows up to mass and they're wearing a football jersey instead of a, a coat. Eh, it's not a big deal. God doesn't really care what you wear. Uh, somebody drops the host on the floor. Eh, it's not a big deal. God, it's the God's God. He doesn't get hurt. It goes for everything. Everybody says it's not a big deal. Nothing is a big deal. But yes, it is a big deal. It is a big deal because small things become big things. And even the big things, whenever you think nothing is a big deal, the big things like desecration of the Holy Eucharist becomes not a big deal. A very concerning situation. A very concerning situation that we see, and we have to reject this not a big deal mentality. Yes, we have to say it is a big deal, and we need to correct it. And we need to fix the problem. And that's very important that we keep in mind. It's a difficult saying because we all want to be nice. We all want to be loved. And to correct small errors, you're seen as pedantic, rigid. And nobody likes to be called those things. Nobody likes to be called these names. You're being mean. No one likes that. And so what do people do? They say, well, it's not a big deal. I'll just, I'll just look past it. It's not a big deal. This is the wrong attitude. And it comes even to something as simple as how we dress. Should we dress modestly? Yes, of course. Is it a big deal when we dress immodestly? Yes, of course. Just read 1 Corinthians chapter 11, a verse, I believe, 15. Maybe it's 14. The angels look upon us and they witness our modesty and immodesty. Do we want to offend our guardian angel? Do we want to offend the angels and the saints in heaven who look upon us? Or do we want to give them glory? Do we want to bring joy to God? We can do this by our modesty. At the very least, to Holy Mass, can we not dress appropriately and dress up for Holy Mass? Or is that not a big deal? And how many of these small, not a big deals become big deals? become problems that now they're too difficult to correct. Now it's almost impossible to correct because we refuse to correct the small errors. We refuse to create virtue. And what is virtue? Virtue is the habituated good. It is not, let me repeat, it is not doing good things every once in a while. Being virtuous 
is to do good things over and over and over again. It's the habituated doing of the good. It becomes a habit. When you do good over and over again, whenever it becomes a habit, then and only then are you virtuous. And we are called to be virtuous. You and I were called to be virtuous. This is a high calling. It is something that God has called us to. And what are those virtues? Well, we have the theological virtues of faith, hope, and charity, which we should pray that God grants us those graces. But then there are also the four cardinal virtues of, of prudence, of temperance, of courage. And there's another one that I'm forgetting off the top of my head. I'm forgetting uh, the seven uh, cardinal virtues. But these are the things that we have to keep in mind. These are the things that we have to promote. And the only way we can do them are habituating them. So how do we do it? You may say, well, I don't have some of these virtues. Well, the way that you foster virtue is by doing virtuous things. And you got to do it over and over again. At first, it is going to be difficult. At first, you're going to say, oh, yeah, I don't, don't lie. Don't lie. No, not even a white lie. Not even a white lie. No, I'm not going to do something bad. I'm going to do something good instead. You have to keep those things in your mind. You have to do them over and over again. And when you do them over and over again, then it becomes accustomed to you. Then you have created virtue. It's not dressing modestly once on a Sunday. It's dressing modestly every single day until you change your mindset, until you change your habits, until you're like, why would I dress immodestly? Why would I even do that? Why would I want to do that? You have to change for the better. And the thing that can help you do that, the sacraments. So receive them regularly, and they will help you grow in virtue. That's going to do it for the first hour. If you can join us in the second hour, Dave Palmer is going to hop on with us. We're going to talk about Socrates. It's going to be a good time. We'll be right back with more right after this. For victory in life, we've got to keep focused on the goal, and the goal is heaven. The key to winning is choosing to do God's will and love others with all you've got. Sacrifice, discipline, and prayer are essential. We gain strength through God's Word. We receive grace from the sacraments. And when we fumble due to sin, and it's going to happen, confession puts us back on the field. So if you haven't been going to Mass Weekly, get back in the game. We're saving your seat on the starting bench this Sunday. Welcome home. Hello, this is Steve Gleason with your one-minute tool for Catholic evangelism. Here's the question for your non-Catholic friend. Your only daughter met a fine young man who was a committed Mormon. She now wants to join his church. What's your answer? Well, here's your three best friendship tools for Catholic evangelism. Number one, a reason for no. Doctrinal positions such as the deity of Jesus and the Trinity. Your reason for yes. You deem seemingly moral character as superseding biblical truth. Secondly, orthodoxy. Your answer is probably no. But how and why? Your resistance to Mormon doctrine does not just come straight down from the Bible. It comes from the first five centuries of brilliant theologians, bishops, and popes. These Catholics wrote, debated, and fought for truth. Example, in 250 A.D., 311, and 417, three different popes excommunicated three different heretics, Sibelius, Arius, and Pelagius. They denied the Trinity, the eternal deity of Jesus, or taught that human effort warranted salvation. Would your pastor excommunicate a heretic? Well, unfortunately, your pastor can only remove someone from his local congregation. But that's okay. That guy will probably end up being welcomed in a church down the street. I actually was gone from the Catholic Church for 35 years. I want to get to heaven. I don't know if I will. I mean, I worry about it. But I not only want to get to heaven at the moment of my death, I want to find as much heaven as possible here on earth. So I need help 
I don't know why I turned on my radio because I've kept my radio off for years. And once I turned it on, I was absolutely hooked. The Guadalupe Radio Network, radio for your soul. Shining the light of truth on the path of salvation. This is the Guadalupe Radio Network, radio for your soul. Hi, I'm Vilma from St. Thomas More Parish. You're listening to AM 1430, KSHJ Houston, part of the Guadalupe Radio Network, radio for your soul. And welcome back to the Catholic Tri-Time Show. This is your host, Adrian Fonseca. So good to be on with you today. Speaking of virtue, talking about virtue and vice, but specifically virtue, is joining us right now is our dear friend, Dave Palmer. He's the executive director of the Guadalupe Radio Network in the Dallas-Fort Worth office. And he's joining us right now. But more to the point, he is the host of Back to the Father. Uh, Good morning to you, Dave. Good morning, Adrian. Good to be with you. Praise be to God. It's good to have you on. Now, you know, the, we're talking about virtue and vice, and I guess it's not really Socrates' uh, field, but we're talking about Socrates again today. We talked about it last week, and we want to follow up on that conversation. Uh, but virtue still relates to him. I mean, Aristotle is considered the, the man of uh, virtue ethics, the creator of virtue ethics, uh, but perhaps there is some uh, connection with Socrates there. So uh, let me th- throw that question out of you, uh, at you, uh, out of, kind of out of left field. What are your thoughts? No, I, I think it's very much connected with uh, Socrates as well. Uh, he, he definitely had a virtue ethics as his, let me just uh, take these off. I got a little feedback coming through, but yeah, virtue ethics. He talked about wisdom. In fact, you know, the, the wisest man is the one who knows he is not wise. Uh, the, the mind seeks the truth and the, the will seeks the good. And so I, I would say that virtue was what, Socrates would define as what makes uh, a man excellent. You know, this is the excellence of a person is how virtuous he is. So I think it ties in very much to Socrates. Very good. Very good. So it's good to hear. Now, the uh, the other thing that's very interesting about Socrates is that some of his teachings, I think, are very are much more accessible to people than people like to think. They hear philosophy. They hear Greek they hear Socrates, a name that they don't really hear too often. They're like, yikes, I don't want to dive into that. But I think Socrates' teachings are actually fairly accessible. What do you think? I think so. And also they have to do with common sense. You know, some of the things that are rejected in the, the culture today are what Socrates was talking like. For example, that there is a telos, there's a purpose for human life, that there's human nature, that there's something that we should be striving for, uh, which is largely rejected by most modern, you know, relativists. And, you know, Socrates was debating the sophists of his day that were relative. I mean, relativism was alive and well back in the time of, of Socrates. And some of the platonic dialogues had to do with Socrates debating the sophists of his, of his day. Um, the whole idea of the summum bonum, which there is a supreme good for which all people should be seeking. Okay, this is this is Socrates. This is what he taught about through, of course, Aristotle. I mean, uh, Plato, who wrote you know the, the the dialogue. So I think it's it's a common sense ethics, and of course, common sense largely has been thrown out the door these days. Yeah, one other thing that I find very interesting is the the kind of the 
concept that people have about the uh, about God. And I think it's very interesting because some of the objections that Socrates raises to the gods with an S and people would lump at our God, the monotheistic God, the God of Jesus Christ, and they would say, oh, well, see, Socrates didn't believe in God, and they, therefore he's an atheist, and therefore that debunks God. Explain why uh, that Socrates' critiques of the Greek God does not apply to, to our God. Yeah, I think he did uh, believe in the monotheism and, and rejected the polytheism of, of his day. And I think it just makes sense uh, that there that there would be only one God and having multiple gods who have flaws and lack, lack of character like the, the, you know, the Greek gods did, didn't make sense. And so I think this is one of the reasons why he was ultimately killed, you know, given the hemlock because of the corruption of the youth. And also that he called people, you know, to task about their own arrogance, their own lack of humility, their pride. And so that's why he was unjustly killed, as we talked about last week, just like Jesus, uh, as a, basically a martyr for the cause. But, uh, you know, interestingly, I, I've heard that um, Plato, who, of course, you know, represented a lot of Socrates' uh, beliefs, was not a big fan of Homer because Homer, of course, wrote a lot about the Greek gods, and Plato did not did not appreciate the fact that these Greek gods had a lot of flaws, and he thought that by lifting up these Greek gods who had a lot of flaws and imperfections, it was a way of teaching young you know young people the wrong way to live. Okay, mm. so it wasn't. You know, if you're going to live virtuously, you're probably not going to be imitating these Greek gods because they had so many flaws. No, that's a great point because we we think about virtue ethics and we think about these things and we say, okay, well, you know what? Um, If the gods can do it, then I can do it. And this is a a grave problem that people have. This is why we trust not in princes and these pagan gods. Obviously, the St. Paul says that all the gods of the pagans are demons. And so they do bad things. So Socrates asked, well, do we do what is virtuous because the gods say it is virtuous? Or do the gods say it's virtuous because it's virtuous? And the, the, the apologists for the pagan gods were like, oh, I, I, I don't know. And this is very, uh, this is often lumped at, at the monotheistic god, the god of simplicity, the Thomistic god. And the, uh, the problem that they have, that we don't have, is that for us, God is simple. God is good. He is not doing good things. He is goodness itself. He is the sunum bonum, as you were saying. Um, the He is the goodness itself. Uh, what are your thoughts there? Yeah, yeah. And I think also, you, you know, when you talk about simplicity, one of the things that Socrates, I, I mentioned, I think last week, that Soren Kierkegaard said what Christianity needs today. And of course, Soren Kierkegaard lived a long time ago is another Socrates. We need somebody who can ask the questions in order to seek the simple truth like you're talking about. And that's why most of the Platonic dialogues were dealing with zeroing in on definition of things. You know, what is justice? What is love? What is friendship? What is goodness? You know, what is law? And I, I think if there's one thing that's needed today, it's these conversations. Today we it, largely, they, people don't even want to ask the questions. I mean, because there's so much ridiculousness out there. 
that even asking the question can get you into trouble. And we know that, you know, because people are kicked off social media sites for merely raising a question. And that's what I think ultimately got Socrates in trouble is that he asked too many questions because he was on this relentless pursuit of the truth because he knew truth would lead to wisdom and wisdom is virtuous, which brings us back to the original point of virtue. No, yeah, and then let's let's talk about that for a second. Uh, humility and virtue. Okay, uh, what is the story? People may or may not have heard the story before of the Oracle of Delphi. Uh, tell me about that. Yeah, that's really interesting because that is where the Oracle was related to Socrates that he was the wisest of all men. And so he realizing he wasn't the wisest because he was aware of how unwise he was, he went on a task to prove the oracle wrong. <laughs> and so he walked around Athens talking to men who he thought were wise. And in speaking to them, he realized that they actually believed that they were wise. And so because they believed that they were wise, he realized they weren't. So he finally came to the conclusion because at least he knew how much wisdom he lacked. He thought the Oracle, well, must be right. And so, mm -hmm. you know, that that's really the, the key to, to Socrates teaching is humility, you know, is, is realizing that this, the, the pursuit of wisdom means not, not real, not thinking you're wise, kind of like, you know, Dr. Ray on his show jokes around a lot about winning the humility award because <laughs> anybody who, Anybody who acknowledges how humble they are or brags about it clearly isn't humble. So I think it's it's kind of the same principle. And there's a prayer an old friend of mine would say. He says, uh, Lord, make me humble, and if you do, don't let me know it. And I think that's hilarious. <laughs> yeah. um, but exactly. no, I mean, it's a good point because the the issue with the these whole the whole mentality today is that it's not that we, what we don't know that gets us in trouble. It's what we know for certain that just isn't so. And I think that's really the crux of the matter. Everybody thinks they're so certain about their opinion about things, their ideas of reality, and yet they simply just don't know the truth of, of reality. It's so uh, fundamentally, it's so crazy how, how fundamental we've uh, kind of fallen off the wagon. Yeah, and it's like, like like i said there's these these very simple things like you know teleology that there is a certain good that all men should be pursuing you know there's something in our nature that's leading us to that summum bonum and if we could just like as a culture agree to that and at least have a debate and most people would say well it's probably not ultimately food and sex and what job you have and how big your house is. I mean, people would realize those don't ultimately lead, lead to final happiness. Let's have that conversation. And I think that's going to lead to the fact that there is something supernatural that is our ultimate good, which is another thing that Socrates was all about. He believed in the immortality of the soul, which was unique back at that time, because most of the, the you know, his colleagues didn't believe in that so he emphasized the soul over the goods of the body okay and that was pretty revolutionary in in greece at the time yeah that is very interesting that uh this these ideas and we talked about this last week how the greek philosophy uh, created by socrates then plato then aristotle then the students of aristotle uh, was really setting the stage for christ to come in 
and to explain all these things and everything would make more sense since before Christ and before Socrates, everybody was either they believed in the transmigration of the soul, meaning the soul moves to different bodies, reincarnation kind of thing, or they believed in the annihilation of the soul, where you just you just went off, you, you died, that's it. And it is when the ideas of Socrates and Plato and Aristotle helped shape us and helped shape the mind of the most popular and powerful government in the world at the time to be able to pre be prepared to receive the teachings of our Lord and which are the true teachings, and that what we're talking about here, amongst other things, is that the soul is immortal. Uh, what are your thoughts about that, Dave? Yeah, you know, last week we mentioned about the logos. Logos is a really important term when it comes to philosophy and, of course, theology as well, because the, the logos to Plato was the ultimate good, because he had this world of forms, and the greatest of the forms was goodness itself. And then, you know, as we say 300 years later, goodness the logos is born into the world and so it was all preparing the world for uh, you know the 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 incarnation of goodness the logos and we no longer have to look into the the sky for the ultimate good because he was born among us and so that's why i think a good little knowledge of you know greek philosophy is interesting because it was in some ways uh, a preparation for christ Mm -hmm, for sure, for sure. Now, there's not going to be a, a Back to the Father show today, but if people are thinking, you know, I can't, I want to get more of this, Dave, um, how can people connect with you and make sure that they are going to be able to uh, see you as soon whenever you go back live on Back to the Father? Yeah, we're kind of like your studio. I know you guys are under construction and everything's the same in the Dallas studio. And so we, we're not going to have a show for several weeks. I'm taking a vacation and we have an event next week, but I think the beginning of August will be our next Back to the Father. And if somebody would like to get on the email list and just find out about when the next program is going to be and what the topic is and that kind of thing, you can just email us back to the father at grnonline.com. So back to the father at grnonline.com. Now, if people are like, uh, Dave, I cannot wait until August to get uh, all this goodness, uh, where can people uh, see some things that you're putting out? Yeah, well, they, they can, of course, they're on, they're archived, uh, I, I believe, through the, the GRN website, grnonline.com. And, of course, you can find them on our social media sites as well, YouTube and Facebook. So if you look hard enough, you'll find them. I promise, Rafa. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was thinking uh, of your, your other channel where you uh, go over the SUMA, um, the, I'm forgetting the name of your, your other channel. I watch it uh, all the time. You just did a show on uh, Aquinas on one of the Immaculate Conception, I really enjoyed. Um, but uh, is that just uh, Dave oh, Palmer? Yeah. yeah, you know, interestingly, that, you know, by my standards, that video blew up, you know, uh, <laughs> it's got about a, a thousand views or something, by my standards, anyways. And it's interesting how people are so fascinated by the Immaculate Conception. And people are like, oh, why does it even matter? Who cares? You know, and mm -hmm. like negative comments. And people were really intrigued <laughs> by that. And, and so, yeah, that's uh, that's my YouTube channel. I think if you just search for Dave Palmer or Summa, and then I have a website, uh, studythesuma.com as well. There you go. There you go. Well, that's going to do it. We're going to go into the game show. Call now. We're giving away a prize today, 877-757-9424, 877-757-9424. 
this is Steve Gleason with your one-minute tool for Catholic evangelism. Here's the question for your non-Catholic friend. According to 1 Corinthians 11, receiving communion in an unworthy manner can result in sickness and or death. If communion is simply wafer and juice as opposed to body and blood, doesn't the possibility of sickness and death just seem a little over the top? So here's the three best friendship tools for Catholic evangelism. First off, in the Bread of Life discourse in John 6, Jesus says, He that eats my flesh and drinks my blood dwells in me and I in him. Note, he said drink my blood. He did not say drink my wine or grape juice. Well, no commentary needed there. Secondly, you going to walk? The disciples did not walk away from Jesus over a symbolic teaching of body and blood. They walked over how literally Jesus was teaching them. Also, they did not walk over the idea that feeding on Christ's body and blood is feeding on the Bible. No, no, no. And thirdly, your new response. My Catholic friend, when you are asked, hey, have you received Christ? Your answer is yes, every Sunday at Mass. That's how I know objectively that Christ is in me. All my life, I was searching for something that seemed to be just one step away. Perfect soulmate, the ideal job, that big adventure. And just when I thought I found what I was missing, I realized that I was never really fulfilled. Then I discovered what I was searching for was really faith in God and belonging to a church. You can find what you've been searching for too. Come and see at CatholicsComeHome.com. Welcome to another round of fear and trembling. <laughs> the Catholic Trivia Game Show that helps you work out your salvation by the seat of your pants. It's a 50-50 chance and prizes are involved. Avoid the weeping and gnashing of teeth. Call now to take your shot. 877-757-9424-877-757-9424. That's the number to call to be part of the game show Fear and Trembling where we give out prizes and you could win. You could be the winner. Today's the day we give out the prize. So you might find out today while you're on the line whether or not you are going to be a winner. How do you do so? Just pick up the phone, 877-757-9424. Now, this is going to be a good game show. I'm looking at the questions here, and I got to say, this is going to be a fun one. Now, you may be asking, okay, what do I do here? And didn't you say that... uh that Tito is on vacation, so how is this game going to work? Well, let me tell you. So I have three Catholic trivia questions here. The trick is I'm not going to ask you the trivia questions. I'm actually going to ask Taylor the trivia questions, and so he's going to give me an answer, and it's going to be your job to tell me whether or not he is right or whether or not he is wrong. And that means even if you just guess, you're going to have a 50-50 chance of getting the question correct. And every right answer goes into the coffee cup of divine providence to win this week's prize, which is a replica of the coffee cup of divine providence signed by yours truly, by Tito Edwards, and by Taylor. So very much a awesome prize. And we're running out of coffee cups. I know we only have uh, just one stack more, and I believe that would be eight of them. So there's only eight more coffee cups of divine providence so if you don't get one well as soon as they're gone they are gone and along with the coffee cup of divine providence we are giving away two free books um, donated generously by bishop sheen today uh, so thank you very much to bishop sheen today for your generous donation of those books uh, but we have a caller on the line good morning and welcome to the show hello can you hear me 
Let's see. Maybe we got to turn that volume Hello? on. There you go. There we go. Can you hear me now? Yes. Perfect. Perfect. Who am I speaking oh. with? Um, I am uh, Lucrecia. Lucrecia, good morning to yes. you. Oh, I didn't know I was, I was um, on the phone. I no. didn't... You got him. You're on the you're on the phone right now. Praise be to God. Um, is this Lucrecia who listens on Facebook? Yes. Ah, oh, praise be to God. <laughs> well, welcome. It's nice to hear your voice. Uh, thank you. It's a surprise. Well, very good. I didn't know I wasn't cold. <laughs> oh, and there you go. You, we did. We just uh, snuck you on the air. Now, if you're uh, where, where are you calling from? Um, a, what city are you from? I'm from Frisco, Texas. A Frisco, Texas. Praise be to God. Is a Frisco, Texas? A, is that is that? Um, let me think. Is that wine country? Mm. Not quite. Not quite. No. 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 <laughs> What is what's Frisco, Texas known for? Well, it's a very um it's a cowboys. Oh. So it's like near the is it near the San Marcos River? Um no. No. Okay, I got my I got my geography Dallas, all turned around. Dallas is uh well, it's it's kind of an hour from Dallas, the Trinity oh, River. Oh, I see. I see. Yeah. Well, I I gotta go and restudy my uh, my Texas geography apparently because I'm uh, I ha- I'm placing Frisco in the complete wrong area of Texas and I'm like uh, oh. all sorts of confused in my head so I gotta go pull up a map and uh, and look at that later. Um, but where are you off to this morning? It's it, um well today I I'm staying at home. Praise be to God. I'm usually driving when I'm when I'm listening to you. Well, it's also good to to be at home. Uh, I love uh, a a good staycation. That's always a, a lot of fun. Um, but welcome to the show. You're familiar with the game. You're a regular listener. You're a veteran. Uh, so you know mm. that uh, things can be tricky. However, you're the first person to ever do the game show with Taylor as a as the uh, contestant or as the... Uh, oh, yeah, there you go. Get the applause. There you go. So good luck. You got to keep your ears tuned because I don't even know how tricky Taylor can be. We're going to find out together. Are you ready to play, Lucrecia? I am, but I'm nervous. I don't okay, know if I'm get don't be quick. nervous. Don't be nervous. We'll be <laughs> we'll be great. Uh, question number one here: The Council of Trent rejected and condemned the errors of the so-called Protestant reformers in what years? Taylor. Ooh. Questions like this, when it comes to uh, a year, are usually the most difficult. But I'm going to go with 1548 to 1567. 1548 to 1557. Yes, sir. That's what you're saying. Yes, sir. Okay. Well, Lucrecia, I hope that you are actually a savant in in history because this is a toughie. This is a toughie. The question on the board is the Council of Trent rejected and condemned the errors of the so-called Protestant reformers in what years? 15 seconds on the clock. The answer Taylor gave is 1548 to 1557. And what say you, Lucrecia, from Frisco, Texas, which is not by the San Marcos River, nor is it in wine country? Well, I think I'm going to go with Taylor, you're gonna go with more than me. 
You're going to go with true is what you're going with. Are you sure you're going to go with true? True. Okay. She's going to go with true. So I'm going to give you the answer anyway, because uh, technically the answer is 1545 to 1563. But oh, I saw because, yeah. 1548 to 1557 is within those years. And so I would say, I would say that I'm going to give you the answer uh, correct nonetheless, because technically it's still within those years. Uh, so we're going to give you the answer. We're going to say it's that. You got it right. You're going to say you got it right. Are you ready for question number two? Okay. <laughs> you ready for question number two? Yes. Let's do it. Let's do question number two. What do we call the mystery of the three divine persons in one God? That's a great question. Thank you. I made it up myself. <laughs> I'm going to go with the Holy Trinity. The Holy Trinity. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm very... I've never seen the word Trinity in the Bible. Maybe you should uh, read the Bible again. I've seen it multiple times. You've seen the word Trinity in the yes, Bible. Wow. I, I, I want to get. I want to get your your copy of the Bible. Like to see that. All right, Lucretia. The question on the board is oh, 15 seconds on the clock. What do we call the mystery of the three divine persons and one God? Taylor seems to think it's the Holy Trinity. Uh, what say you, Lucretia? Um, well, the it's, it's called the Trinity, the Holy Trinity. So you're so, going to go with um, yes. Yes. She says it's true. He says you are right, Taylor. And she is correct. You are right, Taylor. Can you believe it? I can barely believe it. Um, but no, actually, the, the word Trinity doesn't actually appear in the Bible anywhere no. in the Bible. A fun fact. The, the Trinity, the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost appear in the Bible, but the word Trinity itself doesn't show up in Scripture anywhere. No. So fun fact for the day. Fun fact for the day. So congratulations to you, Lucretia. You're in two for two. How do you feel so far? Oh, I'm excited. You're excited. I'm, there you go. I'm, I'm still nervous. It's <laughs> still nervous. You already got two for two. That's a 100% success rate so far and uh, good odds for winning the prize this week. Uh, so make sure that you uh, hang out with us because uh, your name might be drawn because we got one more question here. And I'm thinking, I'm thinking you probably will get this one right. Are you ready? Yes. All right. Yeah. Question number three here. Which cardinal virtue helps one to restrain or moderate the desires for pleasure of the senses? I'm very confident in this answer. You are? Yes. I'm going to go with temperance. Temperance. Your confidence. Yes. My, that's my final answer. That's your final I, answer. You don't want to phone a friend? No. Are I, you sure? I don't think anyone would be up right now. That's All my true. friends are probably asleep. That's true. It's a good point. I don't even have friends, so I wouldn't even know who to call. Oh. So, yeah. Whenever people ask if I want to phone a friend, I usually just just call my grandma. I'll be your friend. She'll answer. Oh, I'll, thanks, I'll be Taylor. your friend. I appreciate that. Thanks. No problem. All right, Lucretia. 15 seconds on the clock. The question is, which cardinal virtue helps one to restrain or moderate the desires for pleasure of the senses? Taylor seems to think it's temperance. What say you, Lucretia? Is he right or is he wrong? What say you from Frisco, Texas? Um, uh, the, to restrain the... um. To moderate the desires 
for pleasure of the senses or restrain. Restrain is good too. Yeah. I think she is. Um, true. He's saying true. She's saying true. Let's see if you're right. Uh, that is correct. Oh, it yeah. is, in okay. fact, temperance. It is, in fact, temperance. Now, stay on the line. I am currently, as we speak, you can see me shaking up the coffee cup of divine providence, shaking up real good. I'm taking I'm taking the things out. I'm mixing it in my hand, throwing it back in the cup, shaking it again, making sure that this is not going to be a case where, you know, I actually just throw something on the top. Instead, it's all mixed up nice and good. And the winner is... Nanuka! There you go. Praise be to God. Sorry, Lucrecia. Oh. Today is not your chance to win today. No or was your chance to win, but you did not get your name. But make sure you call in in the future. We'll make sure at some point you will get your name in that coffee cup of divine providence. But God bless you. God love you. And have a blessed day. Okay. Thank you so much. It was really, it was really um, amazing to be, to be. Uh, well, it was amazing yeah. <laughs> to have you on and you did amazing on the show. So we'd love to have you back. But God bless you. God love you. And have a uh, great rest of your staycation. Okay. Thank you. <laughs> All right. And that's going to do it for the first hour of Catholic Drive Time. Or not first hour. That's going to do it for the radio side of Catholic Drive Time. We're going to go into the after show. You can join us. Hop on YouTube, Facebook, Rumble, Odyssey, Twitter. And you can interact with us directly. We'd love to have you. But if not, we'll see you back tomorrow. Not tomorrow. Tomorrow's Saturday. Man, I am all confused. Monday. We'll see you back Monday, 6 a.m. Central, 7 Eastern, across the Guadalupe Radio Network and Catholic Spirit Radio. God bless you. God love you. And we'll see you very soon. Thank you for joining us on Your Catholic Drive Time, where it is our pleasure to keep you informed and inspired. Join us Monday through Friday at the same time, right here on your favorite Catholic radio station. Don't forget to connect with us. Just go to facebook.com forward slash Catholic Drive Time. Again, that's facebook.com forward slash Catholic Drive Time. Be sure to share more than just us today. Share Jesus with everyone you meet. Bye now, and God love you. Guadalupe Radio Network now brings you the Holy Sacrifice of the Mass from the chapel at Our Lady of Corpus Christi in Corpus Christi, Texas. Welcome to Holy Mass, coming from Our Lady of Corpus Christi Chapel, home of the Salt community. For more information, please visit salt.net. Today we celebrate the memorial of St. Kateri Tekawitha. This Mass is offered for all of our online viewers and all of those listening through Guadalupe Radio. Here is a wise virgin from among the number of the prudent who went forth with lighted lamp to meet Christ. Here is a wise virgin from among the number of the prudent who went forth with lighted lamp to meet Christ. Glory to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, 
and will be forever. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, the Lord be with you. Today we celebrate the memorial of one of our U.S. saints, St. Kateri Tekawitha, who lived in the 1600s in what is now upstate New York. Her father was a Mohawk chief, her mother a Catholic Algonquin who had been captured by that tribe and then married the chief. When saint, the saint we celebrate today was just four years old, smallpox killed her, fa her father and mother and her brother and left her with damaged vision and also scars on her face. As a teenager, she began to be in contact with the Catholic missionary priests who came to live in her village. She resisted pressure to marry. When she was 18, she began to receive catechetical instruction. When she was 19, she was baptized. Just a year later, it was on this day in the year 1677 that she left her village to go to a Christian village near Montreal where she lived out the remainder of her life. She died in 1680 at the age of 24 and is sometimes known as the Lily of the Mohawks. Brethren, let us acknowledge our sins and so prepare ourselves to celebrate the sacred mysteries. I confess to Almighty God and to you, my brothers and sisters, that I have greatly sinned in my thoughts and in my words, in what I have done and in what I have failed to do through my fault, through my fault, through my most grievous fault. Therefore I ask, Blessed Mary, ever-Virgin, all the angels and saints, and you, my brothers and sisters, to pray for me to the Lord our God. May Almighty God have mercy on us, forgive us our sins, and bring us to everlasting life. Lord, have mercy. Christ, have mercy. Lord, have mercy. Let us pray. O God, who desired the Virgin, St. Kateri Tekawitha, to flower among Native Americans in a life of innocence, grant through her intercession that when all are gathered into your church from every nation, tribe, and tongue, they may magnify you in a single canticle of praise. Through our Lord Jesus Christ, your Son, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, God, forever and ever. A reading from the book of Genesis. Israel set out with all that was his. When he arrived at Beersheba, he offered sacrifices to the God of his father Isaac. Their God, speaking to Israel in a vision by night, called, Jacob, Jacob. He answered, Here I am. Then he said, I am God, the God of your father. Do not be afraid to go down to Egypt, for there I will make you a great nation. Not only will I go down to Egypt with you, I will also bring you back here after Joseph has closed your eyes. So Jacob departed from Beersheba. And the sons of Israel put their father and their wives and children on the wagons that Pharaoh had sent for his transport. 
They took with them their livestock and the possessions they had acquired in the land of Canaan. Thus Jacob and all his descendants migrated to Egypt. His sons and his grandsons, his daughters and his granddaughters, all his descendants, he took with him to Egypt. Israel had sent Judah ahead to Joseph so that he might meet him in Goshen. On his arrival in the region of Goshen, Joseph hitched the horses to his chariot and rode to meet his father Israel in Goshen. As soon as Joseph saw him, he flung himself on his neck and wept a long time in his arms. And Israel said to Joseph, At last I can die, now that I have seen for myself that Joseph is still alive. The word of the Lord. The salvation of the just comes from the Lord. Trust in the Lord and do good, that you may dwell in the land and be fed in security. Take delight in the Lord, and he will grant you your heart's requests. The Lord watches over the lives of the wholehearted. Their inheritance lasts forever. They are not put to shame in an evil time. In days of famine, they have plenty. Turn from evil and do good, that you may abide forever. For the Lord loves what is right and forsakes not his faithful ones. The salvation of the just is from the Lord. He is their refuge in time of distress. And the Lord helps them and delivers them. He delivers them from the wicked and saves them because they take refuge in him. Alleluia, 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 Alleluia. When the Spirit of Truth comes, He will guide you to all truth and remind you of all I told you. Alleluia. Alleluia, Alleluia. The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Matthew. Jesus said to his apostles, Behold, I am sending you like sheep in the midst of wolves. So be shrewd as serpents and simple as doves. But beware of men, for they will hand you over to courts and scourge you in their synagogues. And you will be led before governors and kings for my sake as a witness before them and the pagans. When they hand you over, do not worry about how you are to speak or what you are to say. You will be given at that moment what you are to say. For it will not be you who speak, but the spirit of your father speaking through you. Brother will hand over brother to death, and the father his child. Children will rise up against parents and have them put to death. You will be hated by all because of my name, but whoever endures to the end will be saved. When they persecute you in one town, flee to another. Amen, I say to you, you will not finish the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes. The Gospel of the Lord.
It was in 1642 and 1646 that three of the North American martyrs gave their lives in a particular Mohawk town in upstate New York. Just 10 years later, the saint that we celebrate today, Saint Kateri Takawitha, was born in that village. The blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. We hear our Lord Jesus in our gospel reading today speaking to his apostles who he's sending out on this practice missionary journey in the midst of his own earthly ministry. And we hear him continuing to give them instructions. But they're instructions not just for them at that time, but also for us, for all of those who followed them in following our Lord Jesus. He warns us that persecution will come, opposition, even legal persecution, and also opposition even from family members. We know this is true. It is different in different countries, in different times. But even today, even in this country, we experience often opposition from people when we begin to follow our Lord Jesus more closely. Certainly the saint that we celebrate today experienced this. She grew up in a culture that was not Christian at all, but was beginning to accept, especially through uh, political actions, military peace treaties, the presence of missionaries in their midst, these Jesuit priests who come from France. And it was through encountering them that the saint that we celebrate today began to see and hear about our Lord Jesus and about the Catholic faith and to be drawn to it. And we read that as a teenager, as she saw these things, she was reluctant, didn't have the courage yet to actually speak up to them and ask to be baptized. It wasn't until 18 that she gained that courage and that opportunity. But even there in her heart, it seems that the Lord was already speaking to her heart, telling her something that was very much contrary to cultural values, already calling her, even before baptism, to dedicate her life to Him specially as a virgin. Thus she resisted the pressure of her, her relatives to marry when she sought catechesis, when she was baptized. She then began to not work on Sundays, fulfilling the Lord's Day faithfully. The tribe didn't like that at all and said, well then fine, then on Sundays you're not eating. And she received bad treatment such that eventually she was encouraged and did leave her village and go to live in this Christian village where she could live her faith more openly. She experiences opposition from family. We know this happens today as well. I myself grew a Protestant, and back in my 20s when I first began to look seriously at the Catholic faith, as I realized that there were things I was afraid of, to actually embrace it, one of those things was that it would cause problems with my family. And this wasn't a wrong fear. It's true. It's one extra factor that in all these years since makes things a little more difficult with my family members. My brothers never have been Catholic, don't want to be Catholic, don't really want to hear about my life as a Catholic priest, will tolerate it. But it's a price that's necessary to pay to embrace our Lord Jesus, to receive Him in the Eucharist, to receive the fullness of truth and grace that the Lord has for us. The price that was necessary and worth it to pay. And so for each of us, whoever you are listening to my words now, you know that at times you may pay a price, you may face opposition in your job, in your culture, even in your family, when you say yes to Jesus, when you follow Him in a particular way. 
but I urge you, and may St. Kateri pray for you, so that you, like her, may have the courage to do exactly that, to say yes to our Lord Jesus, even as, I even as you love your family and every person around you. Let us pray to God, who knows our needs and wants us to approach him, that the Lord may pour out his Spirit upon the ministers of the Church and sanctify all men and women religious. Let us pray to the Lord. That hatred may disappear from the world and there be harmony among nations. Let us pray to the Lord. That sinners may be converted and the sick recover their health. Let us pray to the Lord. That the Lord may separate us from all harm. Let us pray to the Lord. That during this day we may strive to sow unity where there is discord and love where hatred reigns. Let us pray to the Lord. O Lord, show yourself favorable to your children and multiply the gifts of your grace to them that they may obtain the good things they have asked of you and faithfully persevere in your service through Christ our Lord. Blessed are you, Lord God of all creation, for through your goodness we have received the bread we offer you, fruit of the earth and work of human hands, it will become for us the bread of life. Blessed are you, Lord God of all creation, for through your goodness we have received the wine we offer you, fruit of the vine and work of human hands, it will become our spiritual drink. Pray, brethren, that my sacrifice and yours may be acceptable to God, the Almighty Father. May we receive, O Lord, we pray, the effects of this offering dedicated to you, so that we may be cleansed from old earthly ways, and through the example of Blessed Kateri Dekawitha, be renewed by growth in heavenly life. Through Christ our Lord. The Lord be with you. Lift up your hearts. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. It is truly right and just 
our duty and our salvation, always and everywhere to give you thanks, Lord, Holy Father, Almighty and Eternal God, for in the saints who consecrated themselves to Christ for the sake of the kingdom of heaven, it is right to celebrate the wonders of your providence by which you call human nature back to its original holiness and bring it to experience on this earth the gifts you promise in the new world to come. And so with all the angels and saints, we praise you as without end we acclaim. Sanctus, Sanctus, Sanctus Dominus Degus Sabaoth, Plenis Uncelia Terra, Gloria Tua, Hosanna in excelsis, Benedictus, qui venit in nomine Domini, Hosanna in excelsis. You are indeed holy, O Lord, the fount of all holiness. Make holy, therefore, these gifts we pray, by sending down your Spirit upon them like the dewfall, so that they may become for us the body and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. At the time he was betrayed and entered willingly into his passion, he took bread and, giving thanks, broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take this, all of you, and eat of it, for this is my body, which will be given up for you. In a similar way, when supper was ended, he took the chalice, and once more giving thanks, he gave it to his disciples, saying, Take this, all of you, and drink from it, for this is the chalice of my blood, the blood of the new and eternal covenant, which will be poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this in memory of me. The mystery of faith. When we eat this bread and drink this cup, we proclaim your death, O Lord, until you come again. Therefore, as we celebrate the memorial of his death and resurrection, we offer you, Lord, the bread of life and the chalice of salvation, giving thanks that you have held us worthy to be in your presence and minister to you. Humbly we pray that partaking of the body and blood of Christ, we may be gathered into one by the Holy Spirit. Remember, Lord, your church spread throughout the world and bring her to the fullness of charity, together with Francis our Pope and Michael our Bishop and all the clergy. Remember also our brothers and sisters who have fallen asleep in the hope of the resurrection and all who have died in your mercy. Welcome them into the light of your face. Have mercy on us all, we pray, that with the Blessed Virgin Mary, Mother of God, with Blessed Joseph, her spouse, with the blessed apostles and all the saints who have pleased you throughout the ages, we may merit to be co-heirs to eternal life and may praise and glorify you through your Son, Jesus Christ.
through him and with him and in him, O God, Almighty Father, in the unity of the Holy Spirit, all glory and honor is yours forever and ever. At the Savior's command, informed by divine teaching, we dare to say, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Deliver us, Lord, we pray, from every evil. Graciously grant peace in our days, that by the help of your mercy we may be always free from sin and safe from all distress, as we await the blessed hope and the coming of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Lord Jesus Christ, who said to your apostles, Peace I leave you, my peace I give you. Look not on our sins, but on the faith of your church, and graciously grant her peace and unity in accordance with your will, who live and reign forever and ever. The peace of the Lord be with you always. Let us offer each other the sign of peace. Agnus Dei, qui tollis peccata mundi, miserere nobis. Agnus Dei, qui tollis peccata mundi, miserere nobis. Agnus Dei. Qui tollis peccata mundi, dona nobis pace. Behold the Lamb of God. Behold him who takes away the sins of the world. Blessed are those called to the supper of the Lamb. Lord, I am not worthy that you should enter under my roof, but only say the word, and my soul shall be healed. an act of spiritual communion. My Jesus, I believe that you are present in the most holy sacrament. I love you above all things, and I desire to receive you into my soul. Since I cannot at this moment receive you sacramentally, come at least spiritually into my heart. I embrace you as if you were already there, and unite myself wholly to you. Never permit me to be separated from you. Amen.
There is one thing I ask of the Lord, only this do I seek, to live in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. There is one thing I ask of the Lord, only this do I seek, to live in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. Glory to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. Amen. There is one thing I ask of the Lord, only this do I seek, to live in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. Let us pray. May the holy reception of the body and blood of your only begotten Son, O Lord, turn us away from the cares of this fleeting world, so that following the example of Blessed Kateri Tekawitha, we may grow in sincere love for you, honor, and rejoice to behold you for eternity in heaven. Through Christ our Lord. The Lord be with you. May Almighty God bless you, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Go in peace. Salve Regina, Mater Misericordiae, Vita dulcedo, et spes nostra salve. Ad te clamamos, exules filii eve. Ad te suspiramos, cementes et flentes. The Prayer to St. Michael St. Michael the Archangel, defend us in battle. Be our protection against the wickedness and snares of the devil. May God rebuke him, we humbly pray. And do thou, O Prince of the Heavenly Host, by the power of God, cast into hell Satan and all the evil spirits who prowl about the world, seeking the ruin of souls. Amen. Prayer of Deliverance Almighty God and Father, we beg Thee through the intercession and help of the Archangels St. Michael, Raphael, and Gabriel for the deliverance of our brothers and sisters who are enslaved by the evil one from anxiety, sadness, and obsessions. We implore Thee, deliver us, O Lord. From hatred, fornication, and envy. We implore Thee, deliver us, O Lord. From thoughts of jealousy, rage, and death. We implore Thee, deliver us, O Lord. From every thought of suicide and abortion. We implore Thee, deliver us, O Lord. From every 
form of sinful sexuality. We implore thee, deliver us, O Lord, from every division in our family and every harmful friendship. We implore thee, deliver us, O Lord, from every sort of spell, malefice, witchcraft, and every form of the occult. We implore thee, deliver us, O Lord. Thou who said, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you, grant that through the intercession of the Virgin Mary we may be liberated from every demonic influence and enjoy thy peace always. In the name of Christ our Lord, amen. All Catholic, all the time. This is the Guadalupe Radio Network. Radio for your soul. Hi, this is Kim. This is Courage. And this is Chastity from 321 Voices. And you are listening to 1430 AM. Radio Radio for your soul. KSHJ, Houston, 